How many of you have had a very interesting week? That leaves it like wide open, doesn't it? Wide open. I tell you, uh, it's been a week. It truly has. And uh, <clears throat> I'm kind of, I'll be honest with you, I'm battle weary right now. I'm battle weary. Uh, just, just worn out. And uh, I think it shows. I think it, it shows in short tempers. I, I had to apologize to my family this morning. You can ask the, my, my kids. I, had to, I yelled it out in the, in the house. I'm sorry that I'm a grouch this morning. Yes, did I not? Yes, I did. I'm sorry I'm a grouch this morning. I'm just worn out. And, and I'm, I'm of a certain age where grouchiness is like a birthright. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's just, well, I see husbands getting punched in the shoulder and pointed at. I'm not sure if that's, uh, yeah. But it, you know, we, we, we say that you can only take so much. And I think, humanly speaking, that's very true. You can only take so much. The secret for us as Christians is that when we get to that point of what we can take, before we get to that point, we need to be able to turn that over to the Lord and say, God, I'd, I, I feel it coming on. I feel, I feel the weight heavy. I can't carry this on my own. If I do, I'm going to be destroyed. I need your help. We don't like to ask for help. We like to wait until the last minute. And if we wait until the last minute, disaster happens. It's important that we understand and recognize what Satan is trying to do in our lives, in our church, in our families, in everything. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves struggling as Christians. We are at the end of our series on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. We're on the very last one starting today. It's going to take us a, a few weeks, two, three weeks to get through it at least. And I think this Beatitude that we're going to be talking about <clears throat> today and the coming weeks is probably the most, I'll just be honest with you, I'll, I think it's probably the most ignored beatitude, the most ignored challenge that is given to us. And it's the most mocked and criticized by Christians, especially Christians in America today. Because we, we don't like to think about it, we don't like to accept the fact, we don't like to acknowledge anything, and we don't think that things are that bad. And part of the reason we don't think things are that bad is because uh, we're allowing the enemy to deceive us into what is good and what is bad. In an age where uh, the church is divided on moral issues that are not really questions for Christians, uh, Satan has a foothold, and we need to acknowledge that. If you would stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. We've only read through the Beatitudes that we were covering, and today we'll read all the way through verse 12 because we're on the final Beatitude. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That one goes along with what we're going to be talking about today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And this last one is where we're going to be co- what we're going to be covering today. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. And I think as we consider that here in America, we're talking about persecution. Blessed are the persecuted. We don't like to, we don't think, I mean, it's a, it's a raging debate among pastors and among Christians and among religious leaders, whether or not there's persecution in America today. I think, to quote from the the Princess Bride, I don't think that word means what they think it means. See, we equate persecution with what happened to Stephen in the book of Acts, where he was brought out of the city and stoned and killed. We equate persecution with what happened to the Christians in the first century under Nero and under other uh, Roman leaders where they were covered with tar and turned into human torches or where they had their hands and feet tied with ropes and, and each rope was connected to a horse and the horses were dispersed in different directions and they were literally pulled in pieces. We equate persecution with what happened to Peter, where he was crucified upside down, or what happened to Paul, where we believe he was beheaded, or where what happened to the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John of the book of Revelation, where he was boiled in oil and then banished to the Isle of Patmos. We equate persecution with those things. But Jesus says something very different here. He doesn't deny those things as persecution, But he says in verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You see, we don't like, I don't don't know why, I know we don't want to have a persecution complex, and that's one thing that is raging in America today. Everybody is a victim, right? That's not what we're talking about. Dreaming up things that are going on is not what we're talking about. But today, warnings were put out to churches around the country, including us, to be prepared for protesters, to be prepared for violence. I drive by our church on just about a daily basis, and right now I'm looking to see if somebody's painting something on our church just because of where we stand. Folks, Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that falls under the category of persecution simply because of what you believe. I'm not saying we have to curl up in a ball. In fact, you're going to see just the opposite. But here's my point. All right, I want to start this whole thing off by saying this. If we neglect and turn a blind eye to what Satan is doing, we're allowing him to get a foothold 
And if we allow him to get a foothold, he begins to make the cracks bigger. And he begins to divide. The greatest trick, who, who was it? Uh, I forget who, who, who said this. Satan's greatest trick was to cause people to think he did not exist. And many Christians today don't think that Satan has, has any power to exert. And if seriously, if that's how you understand how I'm saying this, because I'm going to be pretty blunt. If that's how you feel, you're a fool. If you foolishly think that Satan does not exert power, I felt it in our church this morning. Mary, they, Mary and the worship team had no idea what I was preaching on today. I don't share my message. I send it to the, to the uh, tech team, usually on Friday, sometimes late on a Saturday night. Uh, but they felt it. They testified about it. I felt it in our church today. Satan is attacking. He doesn't want unity. He doesn't want compassion. He doesn't want understanding. He doesn't want love. He doesn't want us to work together. He doesn't want us to be unified. He wants us to be angry with each other. He wants us to be divided. He wants us to push our weight around. He wants us to want to get our way. That's satanic. He wants to divide our church. He wants to divide Christians. He wants us to think that he doesn't have anything to do with what's going on today. Therefore, if we don't think he does, we don't give him the credit he deserves and we're not on the watch for it. Listen, I don't live my life in fear. I'm a foster parent. My wife and I are foster parents. We have zero say in what goes on. None. Those of you who work with foster families, everybody in the whole system has a lawyer except us. We are not even called humans. We are called the resource. We're not, even, we're not even considered to be human. We're considered to be the resource. Tomorrow they're having court to decide what happens with these three kids. I got no say in that. They live with me 24-7. You know what? I trust Jesus. I trust God. That's all I can do. I can't kick and scream and yell and fight. And I trust God. He's the one that brought them here. He's the one that's going to do what is best for those kids in their lives. But I don't neglect the fact that Satan is at work. I can, I can scream and yell and I can, uh, I don't cuss, but I could, I'm sure. I'm not going to do any good. You know what's going to do good? I'll talk to the father for you. I'll talk to my, th my father for the judge. And most importantly, I'll talk to my father for my three children who need and want a family. But I'm not going to be blind to the fact that Satan doesn't want that. I'm not going to be blind to the fact that Satan's not trying desperately to destroy the witness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we come to the beatitude that Jesus himself warned us about, okay? This is not John Chase and my words. These are the words of Jesus. You will be persecuted. As we go through this message, you're going to read and see on the screen or in your Bibles or on your phones in your Bible app, you're going to see the words of Jesus and the words of Paul inspired by Jesus and the words of Peter inspired by Jesus telling us that these things are going to happen if you think you're above it, if you think it's too small to consider, 
then you are being fooled by the evil one. Therefore, as we look at this topic of persecution, let's open our eyes. Would you please set aside what you think and open your eyes and your hearts to the words of Jesus and the teachings of the word of God and see what the Bible has to say, not what your opinion is. All right, fair enough. This last beatitude is like Jesus saying, and after all of this, just remember, people are going to hate you and pick on you and persecute you simply because you believe in me. This, this last beatitude, man, I, as, I, as I read through this and as I study these beatitudes, that's what it was like. It's like, hey, you're, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you're, if you're a good person, if you mourn for your past, if you mourn for the sin of the world, if you mourn for the lost, then you've got a broken heart. For the, and all these things, if you have a great relationship, if you work on your relationship with others, if you work on your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the church, if you work on your relationship with me and you draw close to me, just remember, after all the hard work, after all the dedication, after all of the, of the inspired life that you live, giving of yourself to my kingdom, check this out. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you for what you believe. They're going to hate you for the way you stand. They're going to hate you for what you stand for. They're going to hate you and they're going to tell you you have no right to believe the way you do. They're going to mock you and they're going to persecute you. You see, following Jesus comes with a cost. That's why he tells us over and over again in his teachings, count the cost. Sit down and, and check it out. Ask yourself if you have what it takes to move forward, to continue on here in this life, in this way. Oh, you can say, you can sing all the songs you want saying that, you surrender all and you give everything to Jesus and, and you're there to serve Him and all you want to do is glorify Jesus. All I want is Jesus. Jesus, 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 24-7. Okay, okay. Along with that comes a side order of persecution. Oh, you might want the main course of Jesus, but understand there's an enemy that wants to destroy you. He's going to be subtle He's going to be overt. He's going to be sneaky. He's going to cheat. He's called, he's called a liar. Jesus called him a liar. Jesus called him a thief. All he wants to do is steal. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your, uh, he, he wants to steal your, he wants to take away your resolve. He wants to take everything from you that matters in serving Jesus. And he wants you to just say, I just want to be left alone. And I don't want to even put myself out there anymore. The previous seven Beatitudes build us up for this one. They address our attitude towards others, towards ourselves, and towards God. They give us foundational principles on which to build a solid life that is successful, a life of purpose, a life that matters for more than just money and fame. It teaches us how to, have, how, how to live a life that makes a difference for the kingdom of God because Christian, that is the ultimate purpose of your life, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And then this, he doesn't simply say expect it. He doesn't just simply say be ready for it. He doesn't simply say, you know, read up on it because... Uh, 
this may happen. He says to us, you're to be happy and to feel extremely favored by God if you suffer persecution because of your faith. Not because of stupid choices you make in life. Remember this, this profound statement, God is not in your stupid stuff. Okay? You do stupid stuff in your life, God's not in your stupid stuff. But when you serve him, when you give your life, when you put yourself out there to serve him, somebody in this universe wants to work against you. Jesus said, if that happens to you, I'm telling you, feel extremely blessed and in my favor because that shows that you're doing something that matters. Paul wrote a powerful and poignant statement in Romans chapter 8, sharing with us his heart about the persecution he faced in his own life. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits in an, with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains. It tells us, but now all those who are persecuted, all those who serve Jesus, all those who walk with him and live for him, now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, we are to look at this life with future eyes, with eternal eyes, and not get caught up in the struggles of this life and not be weighed down by the persecution that comes our way, but realize that as the persecution and as the struggle comes our way, Jesus is saying, hey, it's all right. I've got you. I've got you. It's going to be okay. And what is ahead of you is far more glorious than what you're facing right now. I know it's difficult. I know that's tough. I know you want to throw your hands up in frustration and just walk away many times. But ask yourself this. What would that accomplish for the kingdom of God? Seriously. What would it accomplish for the kingdom of God? Now, it's fashionable in America today to downplay persecution as something that happens somewhere else. Perhaps because we aren't being jailed or beaten or burned, we don't think that persecution is going on. Maybe it's because we're too proud to think it could happen here in the land of the free, home of the brave, or maybe it's because we don't want to admit that other Americans could mistreat us because of our faith. After all, don't we have that God-inspired document, the Constitution? Don't we have that that guarantees? Come on, man. It's a, it's a document written by men. It doesn't guarantee you anything for eternity. The Word of God is eternal. When we start, being, when we start giving more credibility or... Oh, be ready. Hold on to your seats. Don't faint on me. When we start giving more credibility or equal credibility to the Constitution of the United States as we do to the Word of God, we are in sin. 
Folks, this is God's word. This is God's word. Listen, I'm, I'm an American, okay? I'm, I'm, Fourth of July is, is my favorite holiday of the year. I love the Fourth of July. Gabriel and Michael, they're excited. You know why? They get to march in the parade, man. They get to march in the parade this year wearing their baseball uniforms. They're marching in the East Longmeadow Fourth of July parade. They are so excited about that, so proud of that. <clears throat> I can't wait. I can't wait to see my boys march down. I, you know what I love about the parade? I learned this from my dad. I learned this from serving in the military. And I'm so thankful that Congress gave those of us who are veterans this right. I look forward to that first American flag on the 4th of July that comes by me. Because I don't, I don't just get to stand up and, and, and put my hand over my heart or take my hat off. As a vet, Mike, right? As a vet, I get to salute. I get to salute the American flag. That is the greatest honor a soldier, a sailor, an airman, even a Marine. You just have to spell it out very slowly. And that is a great honor. And I love it. I love it. You know, it's an even greater honor for me is to come here on a Sunday morning and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, because I know this, what we do here, what we do on Sunday morning, this is eternal. What we prepare for on Sunday mornings, this is eternal. Fourth of July is a great day to celebrate. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love the fireworks. I love all of that. Yes, Eric keeps asking me about the fireworks. We're going to the fireworks, man. Gonna have some fun at the fireworks. But this is eternal. And that's where my heart has to be. The more likely explanation, I think, is that we don't truly understand what persecution for our faith is, so we don't recognize it. You know, the, uh, the urban myth, it's been, it's been done away with. I understand that science has proven it won't happen. But the urban, remember the old story, if you put a frog in hot water, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in cold water and slowly heat it up, the frog will stay there and boil to death. There's people on both sides of the issue. I don't really care. I don't need frog legs and I'm not going to cook a frog. So, but the point is this. If you don't pay attention to what's happening slowly but surely, you will, it, things will creep in and take away what you have and you will grow cold to the truth of the matter. The great danger of not recognizing persecution for what it truly is, quite simply, and here comes another statement. You ready for this one? Is that as we, as we let it grow from small slights and inconveniences, it grows into the government thinking that they have the power to shut down our in-person worship during a time of pandemic. Did you catch that? As we allow small slights and small things to happen, we empower the enemy to get to a point where they think they have the right to shut down what is a God-given command to the church. That's why we didn't shut down during COVID. That's why we faced a lot of persecution. I took a lot of heat for that, folks. I don't share with you what goes on, but I took a lot of heat. I was threatened with, with jail time. I was threatened with a lot of stuff because we wouldn't shut down. 
even though the governor said we could stay open. Folks, when we allow small slights and small inconveniences to grow, we empower the enemy to think that they can do whatever they want. By the way, just north of us in Canada, a pastor was jailed several, he was jailed for like six weeks. His crime? Having worship services for his church. Did you know that many places, many, many states in this country, when you did, when you were allowed to go back, when they, when they gave you permission to go back to worship, they wouldn't let you sing? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Come on. Folks, I know this, I, I know we've been conditioned now, and many of you are thinking, Pastor John, you're way off, you're way off base. Okay. Okay. Think that. I think differently. And I'm going to show you why. Because as we allow others to take our religious freedom away, when we allow, listen, I don't care what people think. If you haven't learned that about me, if, you, if you're new here, if you've been here for a long time, I'm seriously, I, I don't care what people think about. I think it's a great place to be in my life. I, I have the freedom to be who I am. Some people like me, some people don't. Some people tolerate me. That's okay. But I believe what I believe, and I have the right to believe what I believe. You have the right to believe what you want to believe. I'm not going to come to blows over it. I'm not going to get into an argument over it. If we want to have a discussion, that's awesome. We can have a great discussion about what, and you know what? I can get to the point where I agree to disagree, but I'm going to di not going to be disagreeable. As, as our former president, uh, President Obama challenged us, be, disagree without being disagreeable. We still have to be able to get along. But as Christians, we are losing that because we demand, we, we demand to be respected. I tell you the same thing I tell other people. You cannot demand my respect. I can't demand your respect. I can earn it. I can earn your respect, but I can't demand your respect. I cannot force any, you understand this? I cannot force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. How many of you have raised teenagers? Yeah. That's an amen right there, right? I can't force teenagers, I can't force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. Doesn't mean I give up. It means I sit down and I have a conversation. We try to meet in the middle. Because maybe what I'm asking them to do is a little bit overboard. Maybe I'm not understanding their point, And I need to be a little more understanding. But unless we can come to the place where we actually confront an issue and discuss it and talk about it, we're never going to move forward. We're going to continue to allow people to make assumptions about us that are not true. And that turns into persecution. Much of the Christian community will agree with them, including many pastors. 33% of Christians dropped out of church completely at the beginning of COVID, and they haven't come back. We need to understand persecution, what it is, how it's played out, and what its ultimate purpose is. A persecution of Christians is nothing new. It has happened, and, it, and before anybody says anything, it's not just Christians that are persecuted. I get it. Here in America, a mosques, are burned, I think, that's, I think that's abhorrent. Anybody who says they're, they're blowing up a mosque in the name of Jesus or blowing up a synagogue in the name of Jesus, I hope they put you in the deepest part of the prison with no light in a very small room and feed you fruitcake. 
because I think fruitcake is worse than bread and water, right? Seriously, man. Seriously. That's, that's horrible. That's horrible. We don't do that. And by the way, God doesn't need your vengeful attitude. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The first century church experienced amazing brutality. In fact, all through the history of the church, there's been persecutions. Now today, it's a topic of discussion. Is there persecution in America or not? Hopefully this message will, ins- will provide some insight into that question. Exactly what is persecution? I think that's an even more pertinent question because if we don't really know what it is, how can we truly have an opinion on it and understand that if it is happening? And I'm not, and if I'm not being persecuted, does that mean you aren't? See, we tend to look at life through our experience, your experiential lens, right? If it's not happening to me, then it's not happening. Well, that's just not true. Just where is the line that tells us what is happening? I want to share with you some statistics, some statistical facts about persecution. I think it says America, but that's my mistake. It should say in the world and in America today. So many of these statistics are worldwide, but they're also including America. Between October of 2020 and September of 2021, that's just last year, less than a year ago, when these final statistics were tallied, more than 340 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer higher levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. Among this number, 309 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution. A group called Open Doors uh, published this study and it was published in Forbes magazine. It wasn't published in a Christian magazine, it was published in Forbes magazine, a secular magazine. They emphasized this, that one in eight Christians worldwide, one in six in Africa, two out of five in Asia, and one in 12 in Latin America face face massive persecution during the reporting period ending in 2021. Now, some statistics. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith in that year. That's up from 4,761 the year before. 4,488 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Many of them burned to the ground. 4,277 Christians were unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. 1,710 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons. On average, every day, 17. Let's check this one out, man. This, is a, this, this one jumped off the page at me. On, ev- on average, every day, 17 Christians are killed for their faith. Every day. Every day. 17 of us, of us, of our brothers and sisters in Christ are killed every day in this world for their faith. 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked every day. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. Five Christians are abducted for faith-related reasons. Afghanistan is the most, now that's kind of, this is kind of, kind of, uh, I don't know kind of flipped on its head, I guess. Afghanistan is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. Now, didn't we fight a war there for almost 20 years? Now it's an incredibly dangerous place 
the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. Being a Christian in North Korea is basically a death sentence. If not killed, Christians are taken to labor camps as political criminals. Kim Jong-un is reported to have expanded the system of prison camps in which an estimated between 50 and 70,000 Christians are currently imprisoned. Nigeria is the most violent place for Christians. One pastor whose village was attacked said, when we go to sleep at night, we are not sure that we will wake to see the next one. Men and boys are particularly vulnerable to being killed. The women and children they leave behind are often displaced to informal camps, face sexual violence, and are even at risk of abduction and forced marriage. China has entered the top 20 for the first time in a decade. Due to ongoing and increasing surveillance and censorship of Christians, thousands of churches have been damaged or closed. In some parts of China, children under the age of 18, now, now we just came out of a time where the government told us we couldn't go to church live. Check this out. In China, in some areas of China, China, communist, red, China, in many places, children under the age of 18 are not allowed to go to church. In China. China, U.S., China, U come on, man. Do you see where I'm going with this? See what's happening? I'm, I must be over. I'm, I, I just must be off my rocker. It's part of the efforts, that country's efforts to stunt future growth. In a 20, oh, here we go. Now, let's bring America into this. In a 20-year span in America from 1996 to 2015, 2,378 church fires were ruled arson. 51% of all church fires were arson. Many of them, let's, let's be honest about it, many of them were black churches that were burned to the ground by white people in the name of Jesus. Well, well, that's interesting. So those people who are singing and worship and praising Jesus and teaching the word of God, their churches, their, their churches burned down by white people. Who do you think is motivated by say, I'll say it. Who do you think is motivated? The Ku Klux Klan, satanic. White supremacy, satanic. I'll say it. Make it a meme. I don't care. You hate your brother. You're motivated by Satan. You hate your sister in Christ. You're motivated by Satan. I don't care what you say about your faith. You hate a brother or sister in Christ simply because of the color of their skin. First of all, you're as shallow as a mud puddle on a summer, on a, on a summer day after a rainstorm. But secondly, you're motivated by Satan. Since 2012, 42 people have been killed and 28 wounded in church shootings alone. Since, 20, since 2002, 23 churches have been attacked by an armed gunman. Four out of every five churches in America have a safety plan for an attack. And yes, we have discussed it here in our church. Folks, persecution is here. Whether it rises to the level that you think is dangerous or not is irrelevant. Persecution is happening, and I'm not here to sound a warning alarm. I'm here to help you try to, try to broach the topic, helping us to understand 
the reason for persecution. That's how we're going to end this sermon at, uh, on the last, the, the last sermon of this series. What do we need to learn from persecution? To be on guard. That's, that's what it goes. To, to be aware. You're not going to stop it. It's, it's coming like a flood. And it's going to get worse. We're promised that in the Bible. But we can be aware. We can watch. We can look out. We can be on the alert. And we can recognize it for what it is. Because just because people hate us now and hate Jesus now doesn't mean they're going to hate him for eternity. Because our attitude, our reaction, our response, if it is one of love and compassion and an attempt at understanding, may truly turn their hearts to God. Very quickly, what is persecution? Give you some definitions of persecution. Persecution, first of all, is in any way, whatever, to harass, trouble, molest, to persecute, to be mistreated on account of something. In any way, that's not my definition. That's a dictionary definition. That's, that's a definition from, from a, a, um, a concordance from the Greek on what that word persecution that Jesus used here is. Okay? So it's whatever way, an attempt to harass, trouble, molest, persecute, or, be mistreat, or, or to mistreat someone on account of something. A program or campaign to exterminate, drive away, or subjugate people based on their membership in a religious, ethnic, social, or racial group. Here's the United States government's definition of persecution. The term persecution includes actions less severe than threats to life or freedom. That's our, that's our very own government's uh, definition of persecution. It doesn't have to, ri to, to rise to the level of death or loss of freedom. Non-life-threatening violence and physical abuse also fall within the definition of persecution. However, actions must rise above the level of mere harassment to constitute persecution. It's got to be more than just harassment, although harassment can rise to that level. John Bunyan, anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was a, a man of God back in the 1600s. He was imprisoned for his faith and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory about the Christian life. Uh, if you've never read it, read it. It's, it's uh, like a 500-year-old um, This Present Darkness kind of book. It talks about spiritual warfare and, and the struggles that we as Christians face every day. John Bunyan said this, Therefore I bind these lies and slanderous accusations to my person as an ornament. It belongs to my Christian profession to be vilified, slandered, reproached, and reviled. And since all this is nothing but that, as God and my conscience testifies, I, re I rejoice in being reproached for Christ's sake. Is criticism persecution? If, sim if people simply criticize us for what we believe, is that persecution? Let's find out. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 through 15. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. 
my answer to is, is uh, criticism, persecution is this. It can be. It depends on the level of it. It depends on the intention of it. It depends on the purpose of it. The reason we read those verses from 1 Corinthians is this. They, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they have not received the Holy Spirit. If they have not received the Holy Spirit, then this book is spiritually closed to them. They cannot understand it with spiritual discernment. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, they look at passages that tell us uh, we are to keep ourselves holy and pure. We are to avoid certain things in life because we are here to honor Jesus Christ and our lives are supposed to honor him in all that we do. They don't understand that because I have free will, I live in America, I can do whatever I want. Okay. Just try to understand that I live my life according to a different set of standards. If we can agree on that point, then we're good. But if it turns into harassment and it turns into trying to pass laws that restrict my freedom and my access, when it gets to a point where Christian teenagers are told that they're not allowed to have their Bibles in school, when the law says they are, by the way, those of you who are parents, those of you who are teenagers, you have every legal right to carry your Bible in school. That's why I don't make such a big deal about prayer in, Christians, prayer in schools. I don't want an unsaved person leading my child in prayer. But I will teach my children that they need to be thankful to God and they can bow their head at lunch and pray. They can also bow their head before they take that geometry test and pray. They can bow their head before they take that English exam and pray and nobody can stop them. But there are teachers who will tell them, it's happened right here at high school. I had to educate people. When it gets to the point where you are restricting, well, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal because if they get away with that, that's just the beginning. You see, this is why we have to recognize it. Oh, I think you're making too big of a deal. Okay, please just hear me out. Because if we, don't, if we don't recognize it for what it is at the beginning, we're going to be, get to the point where it's all going to break loose and we're not going to have anything to fight with. Depends on the purpose, method, and level of criticism. People criticize and mock because they don't understand. What our response to that should be, hey, listen, can we talk about this? Can I share with you why I believe what I believe? And listen, we, we make, as, as Christians, we make the same mistake because we make judgments about people because they don't meet our moral code. Well, they're not going to meet our moral code. Okay? We just read that the Bible is spiritually discerned. Therefore, if they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, they're under no obligation to follow the Bible. You understand that, right? If they're, if they're not a follower of Jesus, if they've never accepted Jesus as their Savior, folks, they're under no obligation to follow the Bible. They're not wrong if they're abiding by the law of the land. Now, they may be in violation of moral, biblical law, according to us, but we're not their judge. You see, this is where it gets on both sides. 
So the best idea, I think the best solution is for a Christian to sit down and engage this person in conversation so that we can now understand each other. Why? We may, once again, we may agree to disagree, but at least we've educated ourselves on the issue. And now we can more intelligently not come up with an argument. Now we can more intelligently pray about the matter. And now we can more intelligently pray for those people and pray for ourselves so that we will be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Quickly, harassment is persecution. At campuses throughout the country, outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, debased, and targeted for their beliefs. Academic social groups and college organizations regularly ridicule Christians by calling them hateful, bigoted, and privileged. Among other labels, there are some places where Christians are not allowed to gather, some, some college campuses. Everybody has rights except Christians. And they, they are picketed. If they do form groups, if they do have a prayer group, many times they're picketed and harassed for, simply for having that and called hateful things and called haters simply because they're exercising their freedom. So, yes, harassment is persecution. Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Let me say this, and I'm not making this personal. I'm just giving you a personal illustration. I volunteered. You, you all know we have five kids in our house, and they're all children of color. Well, I volunteered to be on the high school's equity team. I wanted to bring my voice to it as a religious leader in the community, and I also wanted to bring my voice to it as a father who is raising five children of color, sharing some of the lessons I've learned along the way. I was not allowed to be on that team by the people who ran it. First of all, I'm a minority. Secondly, I'm a Christian. Now, I was born in Puerto Rico, I think. I could pass on that, I guess, but excluded. Okay, you know what? I don't get upset. I don't scream. I don't yell. I don't fight. I don't go to court over it. I find another way around it. I find another way to have influence on the matter. I don't have to meet in that one group. I can take my message to the people, right? I can talk to others. I engage, I engage the high schoolers in conversation. I go to my, my Yoda and I learn. And then I share what I learn. See, I don't, have to, I don't have to let everything get under my skin as a Christian. I can find another way around it, but I do need to recognize it for what it is. Persecution does not mean you're weak. We're going to end with this point. Persecution does not mean that you're weak. And I think sometimes that's exactly why we don't want to accept the fact that persecution exists. If you are not, I say this, please, I say this with my whole heart. If you're not a threat to Satan's plan for eternal damnation of others, then he will leave you alone. Say that again. If you are not a threat to Satan's plan for the eternal damnation of others, then he will leave you alone. In spiritual warfare, are you ready for this? In spiritual warfare, you are either Satan's ally or you're his enemy.
I think that's pretty point blank and personal. And that's, that's my quote, okay? That's not anybody, that's me. So blame me if you don't like it. In the, spirit, in the realm of spiritual warfare, you're either Satan's ally or you're his enemy. There's no middle ground. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Many of you, I'm sure, have been waiting for this verse to come out. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. What is our responsibility? We, many times we stop at that. What is our responsibility? We know it. We've been told it. It's out there. It's in our face. What are we supposed to do? Resist him. Firm in the faith. Not firm in your own belief. Not firm in your rights as an American citizen. Resist him firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You see, even Peter knew, even Peter knew that there was a day coming where Christians throughout the world would be attacked and experience persecution. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, ah, here we go, man. Now, Brian, this is where it gets good, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Although, man, does it feel like it, doesn't it? Oh, boy, it feels like I've got to tell that person what I think of them. I've got to set them straight. That's not your struggle, brother. That's not your struggle, sister. That's not your enemy. Their souls are the prize. They're not the enemy. Satan is your enemy. So what are we supposed to do? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the, heaven, in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. I'll tell you what, man, there are times where I literally go to Ephesians 6 and I pray on my armor. God, I am putting on the helmet of salvation right now because I need you to protect my mind. My mind's going crazy right now. It's being taken every which way. And God, I need your peace. Lord, I'm taking on the breastplate of righteousness right now to protect my heart, Lord, because I know that out of the heart comes what I really think and feel. I'm protecting my lungs, Lord, because I need to breathe your breath of life. I need to breathe your free air. I need to take, sometimes I just need to take a breath. I'm putting on the boots of preparation, Lord, because this, this road I'm walking is filled with nails and spurs and broken glass and all kinds of things that are there to trip me up. I'm taking up the, the shield of faith, Lord, because Satan is, fighting, is firing those fiery arrows at me that if I'm not protecting myself with a shield, they're going to hit. And I've got the sword, Lord, and that's your word. And I'm going to attack with your word. Not with my feelings, not with my understanding. I'm going to attack with your word. And yes, I believe in, play, in praying the scriptures. 
I believe in praying the scriptures. What better way to attack darkness than with the light of the word of God? You see, folks, we have defense here. We have weapons to fight with. We just have to be willing to fight. And before you can even fight, you have to recognize the enemy and his tactics. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful, are powerful, are powerful through God for the demolition, the tearing down of strongholds. Listen to what he says now. For we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ not to win the argument, to obey Christ. Folks, I I don't know where you stand on this issue. I don't know what your feelings are. I don't know if you think I'm sounding a bell that doesn't need to be rung. I don't know. But I know what I know and feel and see in my heart. I know what I see and I read and I know what's going on. And I know what God has has opened my eyes to. And I know that the church is under attack. And if the church is under attack, that means the church members are under attack. Satan is alive and well. Who who was a Hal Lindsey that wrote, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, right? He wrote, didn't he write that in the 70s? Man, this is 2020. This is 2022. I don't even know if I got that right. 2022, there we go. That's a long time. Be sober, be awake, be alert, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, roams about seeking whom he may devour. He takes down the weak ones first. Don't be weak. Be strong in your faith. I hope and pray that you uh, are intrigued and you come back next week to learn more about this. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what, what God is, is teaching me so that I can teach as well, so that we can be alert. Listen, there's a re- we, we've got a couples thing coming up, man. You know who doesn't want you to be at that couples, those couples meetings? I'm just going to say this because I'm, Oswaldo, I'm in deep now, right? I'm just going to say it. You know who doesn't want you to give up Saturday night to come here and fellowship with couples and learn more about marriage the Christian way? Satan. As the church lady would say, Satan. He doesn't want you here. It's time we started focusing on our faith and our walk with Jesus instead of other things. Let's pray before I get myself into too much trouble. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us, and thank you for this day. Lord, it feel, I'm just going to be honest, God. It feels like it's been a battle today. It just feels like Satan has, has fought every step of the way. And God, it's, uh, it could be exhausting, and I know, I know personally what, what others feel, Lord. It could be exhausting, and you know that, God. Lord Jesus, you walked this earth, and, and you experienced, and, and, are, and you've told us that you experienced these things, and you know what we go through. You know what it's like. 
I mean, you face Satan face to face in temptation. So you know what we face. But Lord, I thank you for your victory. I thank you for all those who are here today and those who watched us online. Father, I pray that we will all just take a step back and and give some acknowledgement to what your word has to say and what the potential is and what the facts are. And God, may we steal ourselves to your word. Father, I've got to add this because I think it's what's missing so much in the church today. We've got to learn to love others the way you loved us and the way you still love us. And as we look at persecution, may it not make us bitter and angry. May it break our hearts for the lost souls out there, knowing that there's a devil that will destroy our lives just so others will not accept Jesus. Lord, bless us as we go from this place. May we go forth as worshipers. May we go forward as servants of yours looking for every opportunity to share our faith and to live our faith. May we walk through every open door. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.